Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. And we're very much looking forward to turning our attention once again back to the Sermon on the Mount. We will be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And Jacob, would you mind reading those? Yeah, it says... Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of people, to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, so that they will be praised by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they will be seen by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive other people for their offenses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, then your Father will not forgive your offenses. Now whenever you fast, do not make a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. They distort their faces so they will be noticed by people when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so your fasting will not be noticed by people, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think what we're seeing here is Jesus addressing the problem of pride, that kind of self-seeking, self-first attitude that is really not compatible with true devotion and, and service to God. We might wonder when you think about it, what attraction would there be for the self-seeking, prideful man in charity, prayer, and fasting? It seems that those things grow out of humility before God and a concern for others. So why would a prideful man even bother being involved in these things? Therein lies the heart of what Jesus was addressing. Even acts of religious piety and service can be turned into nothing more than wickedness for the doer of them when they are motivated by pride. You know, Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had taught that they were the salt of the earth and that they were the light of the world. 
Uh, and in verse 16, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, obviously, you got a very related passage here, but you've got two very different motivations. One is, uh, one is a self-seeking man who loves the, the praise and approval of men, and another loves the Lord and wants people to glorify God. And so this clearly teaches that uh, the motive, the reason for doing what we do in religion uh, matters. Just as 1 Corinthians 13 says, yeah, I could give my, my body to be burned, but if I don't do it for love, it profits nothing. Yeah, absolutely. The, the heart is so important in what you're doing and that God God knows it and he sees what is done in secret and then sees the true motive behind it. It reminded me of First Samuel 16 when Samuel was going to anoint the next king and he sees Eliab, and, which is David's brother, and from the appearance standpoint, you know, has to this has to be him. Um, and, and God says, no, I've rejected him. For I do not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, I think that's just exactly the and a good application for this. Is God sees the true motive. We may look at people and and see that wow, they're doing such great deeds and um, and want to praise them, and that's good that they're doing good things. But God knows truly why you're doing things and you can fool man but God always in the end knows the the motive and your reasoning behind what you do talking about the charity or the alms giving or the charitable deeds depending on which translation you're using it refers to the giving to the poor and that was something very familiar to the Jews of the first century and something that quite frankly was dealt with extensively in the law of Moses. Jesus makes it clear that giving to the poor, like all other expressions of devotion to God, can be turned into wickedness if it is done out of a out of an evil motive, if it is not out of a God centered heart with love, it's soiled and it's corrupt. So in our charitable works we must be content that God knows what we have done. We must not make a point of announcing our charitable deeds to others. In verse 3, Jesus taught us not to even announce it to ourselves. Now, obviously, we know or are going to know what we do. So what was the Lord's point? It's the motive behind our giving that Jesus was talking about. Do we give to the needs of others out of a love for God and for the needy? Do we do it unselfishly, with no thought at all about possible credit that might come our way, if anyone finds out? Or do we give in secret, hoping that what we have done becomes known to our glory? It's all about the motive. You know, I, I don't have to worry about this because I don't play the trumpet. So, <laughs> now, the funny thing is, uh, actually, it's not funny at all, but uh, we're tempted. Everyone, every, I mean, nobody does not like it when they receive praise for doing good. I mean, the Proverbs even says, let another's lips praise you and not your own lips. Uh, but we have to be very careful about being deceived into uh, reve revealing our charitable deeds, our, our good works, 
under the guise of some justification. You know, we, we try to couch it. We try to couch it in, well, I need advice. You know, I need, you know, they're very clever tactics. You know, uh, we don't use trumpets anymore, but we use social media. You know, we announce, we announce the things we're doing on social media. Uh, and we may say, I don't know. Uh, I'm making dinner for the preacher on Tuesday. What do you think I should make him? Well, what have you done here? I mean, be real. Just figure out something to make. <laughs> you don't need to announce what you're doing. It's just one silly example. Yeah, I think the anytime we see the phrase, otherwise you have no reward with your father who is in heaven, as, as in verse 1, um, you definitely want to heed what was just said. Um, it's certainly to... That's obviously an important phrase to make sure to not practice our righteousness to to be seen by people to be noticed by them. Um, and an excellent example that Rosh just brought up in social media is um, just you know posting things and making it for other people to see us and and you know God sees what's in secret and that's the opinion we should value the most. Um, you know we we can post things and want people to see it to think that we're so great or maybe get jealous of us or whatever the case may be whatever your motivation is in that but that god sees what is in secret and his opinion trumps every uh, other person's opinion we're going to talk about prayer now but we are not going to actually examine what has come to be known as the lord's prayer here in verses 9 through verse 14 in the gospel according to matthew chapter 6 we're going to deal with that similar sample prayer when it's examined in our study of Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Right now, our focus is upon the problem that the Lord was addressing at this time, and that problem was pride. So he talks about pride and prayer. I find that interesting. Prayer is a marvelous privilege given to Christians. It is the opportunity to speak directly with our Father in heaven by its very nature. It requires that we open our hearts in utter simplicity and humility before God. When we use prayer in a prideful way, seeking our own glory, we've perverted what is actually a wonderful blessing. We must not pray to be heard of others. That's not a condemnation of public prayer. The sin is not in being seen and heard. The sin is in praying to be seen and heard. The hypocrite prays because he loves himself, not because he loves God. Yeah, it's interesting that people, well, these these hypocrites would use prayer uh, as a result of pride when to me prayer so often has just the opposite effect like to me just the whole concept and practice of prayer is humbling it's not self-exalting i don't know about the rest of you but to me uh, i'm humbled by the example of pr uh, prayers in the new testament who, who Acts six sorry we don't have time for that we have to devote ourselves to prayer I read that and I'm humbled. You know, uh, as Scripture said, we we don't know how we what for what we ought to pray, and we don't pray enough. And I mean, we 
prayer is just to me a humbling subject and it's sad that it would become something that would be uh, self-promoting have you ever had anybody talk to you about their prayer life their extensive prayer life (laughs) well you know part of being a faithful child of god is prayer but telling other people about what we're doing kind of takes it out of the realm of what was intended and puts it into the prideful situation. Yeah, I mean, we're having dialogue with, with God. We are speaking to God when we are praying. And I think it's, verse 7 certainly jumps out to, to me, is sometimes, whether it's um, giving of a public prayer or it's in our own personal prayer life, we can um, have the temptation of almost checking it off the list. We prayed X amount of times today. And so we just say the same phrase over and over and over again. And it's not wrong to use the same phrase. For example, if you were asking God, please be with those who are sick, that's an excellent thing to ask for. But your heart needs to be in it as well. Just as what all these verses are talking about. is It's not about just saying the exact same thing over and over and thinking you're going to be heard. Um, it's important to understand who you're talking to is an amazing a gift, as was talked about, it's a responsibility that we have. It's humbling, as was talked about, um, and to make sure that we're not just talking to God from the standpoint of I have to, to be a good Christian, but I get to. It's interesting as well, as we move on and look at verse 6, depending on which translation you have, they might have closet, you might have secret place, but whatever it's called, what Jesus is talking about there is purely figurative. It's the closet or secret place of our hearts. There's no room that we can go to. There's no nook into which we can enter that can keep us from our pride. Even private moments of prayer can sometimes be occasions for sin if we allow pride to get in the way. Again, I ask, have, have you ever had somebody talk to you about the many hours they spend in private prayer to God? Have you ever had someone expound upon his or her prayer life? When they do such, it's no longer private, and it's no longer between them and God. It seems that they've purposely included others in it for the wrong motive. Yeah. I just wanted to point out that uh, Jesus practiced what he preached here because uh, Mark's account, chapter 1, verse 35, says that it was the practice of Jesus in this morning. Having risen long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, there is no reward in this, you know, because the only reward is that the Father who sees in secret will reward. But There's no reward with regard to uh, witnesses because nobody sees this. Nobody knows what he is doing. So um, another thing I want to point out was the rewarding of God, as New King James says openly, uh, some manuscripts have that. Uh, that's not that's not just a uh, you know that's not just an at judgment heaven kind of thing you know this this is a uh, this is a reward even in this life in each of these instances we'll be rewarded by answered prayer we will be rewarded 
According to Psalm 41, verse 1, Blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. So it's, it's, it's encouraging to note that when we're not hypocrites, when we're sincere, uh, we don't have to wait until the judgment day to be rewarded for that. Verse 7 speaks of vain repetitions. Jesus was speaking there of the Gentiles. These people wanted to be heard by God, but they were so woefully ignorant of the true nature of God. Pagan prayers corresponded to the nature of pagan deities. Pagan deities were not like God. They were often indifferent, mean, and unpredictable in the minds of the people. The Gentiles lived in fear of their gods and sought to placate them or to gain their favor through a system of endless ritualistic prayer repeated over and over and over again. Vain repetitions referred to the idea of the Gentiles that the effectiveness of prayer was found in the words themselves and not in the heart of the one doing the praying. Repetition for repetition's sake does not involve the heart. And the heart must be involved if we're going to have these kinds of conversations with God. Yeah, it, the repetition of phrases almost almost makes it sound like it's a, like an incantation or something. Like, almost like there's a magical nature to the phrase. Like some ritualistic phrase that if you utter this thing, it'll have you know, power in and of itself. He says, "There's no, there's no need for that," uh, and and you can you can come away thinking that uh, I don't know you've prayed longer, and so God will be pleased with that. Uh, but and as Jacob said, there's no no fault in in praying for things again. Uh, Jesus prayed three times in Matthew 26. The the scripture even says saying the same words. And so, nothing wrong with repeating one, oneself. Paul prayed three times about the thorn in the flesh. So, we just need to guard our hearts uh, about, about that. It's kind of interesting that another of the three illustrations that he uses is fasting, which was an established part of Old Testament worship. You know, I think sometimes people have the wrong idea. There was only one ordained public fast under the old law, and that was the Day of Atonement. But at times of special crisis, both the nation and individuals fasted. It had a spiritual significance. It was not intended to be therapeutic or aesthetic. It was a way of humbling the spirit before God in times of distress, and was almost inseparably linked with prayer. By the time of Jesus, pride had entered even into this. The Pharisees had turned private fasting into a hard and fast twice-weekly ritual, and they wanted everybody to know that they did it. I don't find Jesus anywhere instituting days of fasting for his church, public or private. I find no indication that he ordained fasting as a matter of regular devotion. He did, however, indicate that fasting was appropriate at times of mourning. I'm thinking of Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, and that it would be a natural companion of prayer 
I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. But as far as I've been able to tell, it is not commanded as a law for Christians. Okay, let's go on then and look at the next section of the sermon. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, verses 19 through 24, and talk about the singleness of mind of being a Christian. The verses say, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you in darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. To be a true follower of Jesus, he must be the center and focal point of all aspects of our lives. Jesus used the illustration of material possessions to make his point. If we succeed in laying up for ourselves the eternal treasures of heaven, it will be because we put our whole hearts into the matter, and only because we've put our whole hearts into the matter. Anything less than that, I think, dooms man to failure. He compares the function of the eye for the body with the influence of one's life-controlling perspective on the heart. The eye acts as the source of light for the body, while a single, sound, or healthy eye fills the body with light. An evil, unsound, or defective eye leaves the body in darkness. The application comes in his concluding observations. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness? As the eye is the window by which the whole body is either lit or darkened, depending on its condition, so are the eyes of the heart. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. Determine whether the Spirit of God is flooded with illumination or plunged into godless gloom. It is tragic enough to be physically blind, but when the Spirit is denied true sight, how much deeper is the darkness of the soul? A single heart brings clarity and wholeness. A divided heart brings confusion and disarray. You know, there are there are two points I think that Jesus makes here about the folly of, of seeking treasure or, or wealth. And the first one is 19 and 20, and that is the vulnerable nature of that wealth. He speaks of moth and rust destroying and thieves breaking in to steal. And so it's vulnerable. Even even if you chase it your whole life, it can grow wings and fly away or vanish. You know, one one lawsuit, one, you know, bankruptcy uh, or failed business, I mean, it can just blow away. If you don't put the Lord first, uh, I mean, we, sh- we saw in Haggai, he had them putting their their money in purses with holes in it. He can just make it go away, and he can do that to teach us 
that uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. The second is uh, that these things are distracting. And that I get from verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's vulnerable and it is distracting. Yeah, I think along with verse 21 is, you know, we're supposed to love God with all our heart. Um, as, as said in a few different scriptures, even those that, that Jesus will say. And if we're going to, to do that, it can't be divided. We have to, all, and with the word all, it implies everything. All that we have, we are loving him with, serving him with. And so if our treasure is in something else, then it, it's, it can't be in service to God as Verse 24 we'll talk about. You can't serve two masters, whether it's um, whether it, it's wealth is the example used in verse 24, or um, you could insert a lot of different things. Ultimately, it's an, an idol there. You can't serve God and, and another object. You're either going to serve one um, fully, or you're going to, um, as Jesus says, you're going to love the one, hate the other, or be devoted to one, despise the other. Okay, we'll wrap up this particular episode right now. We want to thank you very, very much for listening. And if you're enjoying this particular series on the life of Christ, the harmony of the Gospels, please tell your friends that they might listen as well. And we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at www.nkcofc.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So until the next time, Thanks for listening.